good morning. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Jerry and Kathy, thank you for being willing to read. We're actually not going to do that passage this morning. Sherry, thanks for being willing to do announcements. We don't need any announcements this morning. You're off the hook. Um, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and um, bear with me. I'm going to do a sermon off the cuff this morning. Um, as the worship team was preparing it this morning, they were playing this song, and I went up into my office, and I listened to it in my office, and it just met me where I was at. I was weeping up in my office this morning, and it's funny kind of connection. Actually, on Thursday, there was a wedding here on Friday night this weekend, so Thursday I had the rehearsal, the rehearsal here Thursday evening, and then wedding festivities all day Friday, and so Thursday I had a short window before the rehearsal that I thought, I'm going to go out and go for a run and clear my mind so that I can be prepared for the weekend. So I went out for a run, and as I was running, I just felt like God said, you should be ready to pray on Sunday for, for healing and for people and for whatever. Just be ready. And, and I felt like he said, have some anointing oil. And I was like, no, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not that type of church. And then I got busy with the weekend events. And then this morning, I'm sitting in my office listening to this song, and I started weeping. And I, and I felt the Lord once again say, are you going to trust your plan? So I have a sermon planned out in Matthew. Had a great little intro. I have some good points. It's a great text in Matthew chapter 10 that I was so looking forward to digging into with you this morning. But I felt like God was saying, you could do that, but, but I want you to trust me and talk about something else. And so bear with me this morning. We're going to figure this out together. I feel like God was, was telling me to just pause and to dig into this idea of healing and faith in prayer. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've, we've seen in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 a lot of healing. Jesus is, is doing his ministry and he's calling disciples and apprentices and people to follow him and, and he's casting out demons and he's healing diseases and it's almost consistently always tied to their faith. Let's look at it here, Matthew chapter 8 and 9. So open up to Matthew chapter 8. It's on page 813 in the Pew Bible. We'll just leave this slide up all morning, Jeff, since I don't have any slides prepared for what I'm actually talking about, since I don't know what I'm talking about this morning. But I think, as you're flipping there to Matthew, I think what hit me this morning as I was in my office, as I listened to this song, that line, this entire first verse in the chorus of this song, Lord, from sorrow's deep I call, when my hope is shaken, torn and ruined from the fall, hear my desperation. Many of you, I know this morning, come in feeling desperate, like you're ruined and torn from the fall, the fall of mankind. Yes, sin is wreaking havoc on your life, in your life, but, but just daily, there's things that feel like they are they're just working you over, and so you come in feeling desperate this morning. And then the song goes on to say, For so long I've pled and prayed, God, come to my rescue. How many of you is that are, are there? For so long I've pled and I've prayed, God comes to my rescue. God, heal me. God, take this away. God, God, change this. God, change my circumstances. Change my heart. Remove this sin. I can't conquer this thing on my own. 
I have a friend, my best friend right now, who's been praying desperately for eight months for God to heal his back. I've wept with him and I've prayed with him and we pleaded and prayed for God to come to his rescue and even so, the thorn remains. Some of you have been there in your life, through your trials and through your circumstances. But then look at this last line. Still my heart will praise you. Let's go to the chorus, Jeff. Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. My help, my rock, I will praise him. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm. You're still my God, my salvation. Let's go back to the first one. That is the truth. That is the hope that we cling to. But in the day-to-day reality, many of us feel like we are pleading and praying for God to come to our rescue, and we're not seeing the results that we're asking for. We're not seeing what we're hoping for, but the thorn remains, right? Anybody ever been there before? All of us. As I look out, I'm not going to share your stories because they're your stories to, to tell, but I see a lot of desperation, a lot of trials. There's a family whose son hasn't talked to them in years. There's, there's conflict in families. There's, there's family members in the hospital. There's family members who have lost their mind and they're not able to communicate to you the way that they once were. There's addiction. There's abuse. There's wounds from parents, wounds from friends, wounds from neighbors, wounds from roommates. There's, there's doubt, and you wrestle with this like, God, I, I'm supposed to have faith, and we see through Matthew that people have faith, and they're healed, and, they, and, and they're set free. And, and then last week as we took communion, I watched people take communion, not because I'm like spying on you take communion, but because you come in front of me and I'm just painfully aware of all the people in our church who have these chronic illnesses, these chronic diseases, this chronic pain. And it's like we plead and we pray, God, come to our rescue. God, come set us free. And even so, the thorn remains. But still, our hearts will praise you. And so, Ben and the worship team, thank you for picking such a great song that acknowledges the reality of life, but, but f- reminds us that in the midst of life, regardless of where we're at, whether we're on the mountaintop, whether we're in the valley, whether we're somewhere in between, that God meets us where we're at and he leads us to where he desires to be in his presence, where there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy, and that day will come in the future, but he can lead us there now. He is enough, church. We need to cling to that. We need to remember that. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about faith in healing and trusting God. To do that, I want to look a little bit at Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 9, and then we're going to move over to the book of James, I think. I'm figuring this out as I go. Matthew chapter 8. If you remember a few weeks ago, we kind of started, Jesus came off the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he was teaching with authority. The end of Matthew 7 says that they all acknowledge, they all notice he was one who taught with authority. We're on page 812 and 813 in the Pew Bible. Jesus taught as one with authority, and then he moves into living as one with authority. He has 
all authority on heaven and earth. He tells us in Matthew 28, he tells the disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So Jesus' mission was to bring the authority of God to bear here on earth and to empower his disciples, empower his people to go out with his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. And he begins to demonstrate for us what that authority looks like in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's authoritative teaching. Matthew 8, 9, and 10 is authoritative living. And so look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, leper, diseased. This, this thorn that remained, this leper comes to him. He says, Lord, if you will. Keep in mind, Jesus' authoritative teaching in Matthew chapter 6, he taught us how to pray. He says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray for illness, when we pray for sickness, when we pray for disease, we always have to pray, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. The leopard comes to him, submits to the authority of this Jesus, acknowledging that he is unlike any other human he's ever interacted with because he's divine. He has God. He is God. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He believes in the power of Jesus and he submits himself to the will of God. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I will be clean. And then as we continue to go through these books, we see more and more of this. Look at Matthew chapter 9. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus doesn't first go at the paralysis. He doesn't first heal him physically. He goes to the deeper, more important healing that this man needed, a cleansing of the soul, cleansing of the spirit. He forgives his sins. But then Jesus also heals the man physically. As the story goes on, we looked at that last week. We won't look at it again this week, but he heals him physically and spiritually. Then as we go on down to the end of Matthew chapter 9, we see a, a girl raised from the dead and a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touches the fringe of Jesus' garment and she's healed. Look at verse 20 with me. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. She's healed spiritually and physically because of her faith. And, and I'm gonna, I want you to note this now. We're going to talk a little, bit, a, a little bit about oil and praying, praying with oil later on when we get into James. But I want you to notice here that this woman comes in faith and she thinks, if only I touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, I will be made well. Oftentimes in religious circles, we think that things carry special spiritual power. Like, 
this oil, if you anoint with oil that has special power to heal somebody, or if you touch a certain cloth that some holy person touched, that that will have extra power to heal you. And I want you to notice here that her, that, that her belief system and the culture that she was coming out of believed that there may have been some special healing in the garments that touched Jesus. But Jesus says, your faith has made you well, not my garment. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk more about how that relates to later, but I just want you to notice that here and now, that Jesus says, take heart, daughter. He looks at her, looks her in the eye, acknowledges who she is, acknowledges her humanity when she had been bleeding for 12 years, same as the leper. He had leprosy. They were cast out from society. They were cut off from community. Jesus looks them in the face and says, my son, my daughter. God is welcoming suffering people into his presence into his family, acknowledging their worth and their dignity, and he's looking into the heart and saying, your faith has made you well, your faith in me and who I am and what I do, not in the garment, not in any surrounding things, but she was desperately coming to Jesus. Hear my desperation. Can you imagine being that woman who had bled for 12 years, cut off from society and community for 12 years? Could you imagine the desperation Hear my desperation. For so long I've pled and prayed. She desperately comes to Jesus and he says, your faith has made you well. And so that's what we've been looking at. And this morning I want to flip over to James chapter 5. It's on page 1013 in the Pew Bible. And I just want to pause. We'll pick up Matthew again next week. I'm actually on vacation, and I had two different people plan to preach the next two weeks, and I had to sign them some passages, so this will throw it all off, but we want to follow the Spirit, not our structure, not our plans. And so as we wrestle with this, as, as we think through what does it mean to come to God in faith and prayer, pray for healing and to come to him in desperation and how do we wrestle with those emotions of for so long I've pled and I've prayed and yet these scars remain, yet these thorns remain. Let's look at the words of James in James chapter 5 starting in verse 7. He says, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earth, until it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You see what James is saying there about suffering? Consider the prophets. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet who prophesied for 40 years to be rejected and ridiculed by God's people. He was calling them back to God and they ridiculed and rejected him. He suffered. 
James here is calling us to consider those who have gone before us who have suffered. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast and in spite of suffering, in spite of questions, in spite of doubt, in spite of desperation, in spite of how many times we've pled and we've prayed for God to come to our rescue and the thorn remains. We are exhorted to remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Remember, Job, the Old Testament figure who everything was stripped away from him, he lost everything, all earthly possessions, all earthly things that he loved. And he didn't always handle it well, but he pressed into and remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under the condemnation. So here, James is calling us to be, look at at verse 7, be patient. Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. The Christian, Christian discipleship, as we see in the book of Matthew, is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a lifelong journey of being transformed and conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and so we live our lives a lifelong following him, learning what it looks like to receive and to live out the authority that he was given that he then passed on to us. And in this process... In this cauldron of discipleship, we must be patient. Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I love the the hymn that says, until he returns or calls us home. Well, he hasn't returned yet, and he hasn't called you home yet. That's why you're sitting here breathing. And so the exhortation there is to be patient, brothers and sisters, those who Jesus has redeemed, those who Jesus has looked in the face and and called his own and welcomed into his family, brothers and sisters, my son, you are healed. My daughter, you are made well. Therefore, be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives early and late rains. How many of you are farmers? How many of you grew up on a farm? I actually want to know. Put your hand up nice and high. A few of you, great. So you understand the patience of a farmer. Those of you who haven't grown up on a farm, how many of you just garden? All right. Paul, you went up with confidence. I like that. (laughs) You have to wait. You have to tend to weeds. You have to tend to the soil. You have to prepare the ground. You plant the seed. You water the seed. You water the ground. You pull the weeds. And you wait. And you wait. And you wait. The conditions have to be right. The environment has to be right. There has to be some care given in order for that fruit to be produced. And it's the same thing with the Christian life. So when we look at healing, when we talk about faith, it's not this instant one and done. And there's a tension here, right? A tension that must be wrestled with where we see Jesus in Matthew healing people, consistently healing them because of their faith. And then we're sitting here saying, but I've played and I've pleaded for so long, God, come to my rescue. And, and, and yet James is saying that we must be patient with the Lord. We must be patient in our trials. We must be patient in our tribulation, that, that God just may be bringing something into our life which would produce fruit, but it takes time for that fruit to be produced. One of the most helpful phrases that I've heard from a pastor named Paul David Tripp is that God will bring you where you never intended to go 
to produce in you what you never could on your own. God will lead you where you never intended to go to produce in you what you never could on your own. So maybe, just maybe, those trials that we're going through, those things that we're wrestling with, God is bringing us where we never intended to go, where we never would, things that we never would have chosen on our own to produce in us what we never could on our own, and it takes patience. Patiently await for the Lord to do his work in your life, to, to bear his fruit out in and through your life. And as you do this, verse 8, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He is returning. Wait and trust. And, and as we are in this, in this crucible together, as we are being refined together, he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Understand that we are all being chastised and strengthened and purified by the Lord. And, and so be careful about your grumbling against one another. In fact, he doesn't say be, be careful about grumbling. He says don't do it. So assume and be reminded that Everybody you interact with in the family of God is a work in progress. And be patient with yourself. Be patient with them. Be steadfast in the Lord. That's what James is exhorting us to do. And let's continue on, jumping down to verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Check. Yes. Let him pray. There's, there's a command from God's word. Are you suffering? Pray. Bear your heart to the Lord. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Continue to plead and pray in your suffering. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Isn't that an amazing reality that every Sunday that we gather together as the family of God, some people walk in with extreme suffering and some people walk in with extreme joy. That's why I often pray that God meet us where we're at, some on the mountaintop, some in the valley, and lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Because regardless of what is going on in your life, if you walk into church or if you connect with God's people you may be the sufferer or you may be the joyful, cheerful one. Don't grumble against one another or complain against one another and say, why is life always good for them? They're always smiling. It seems like everything's going good. Or, or why is this person always upset and angry and cranky? Well, maybe they're just suffering. And God has put us in this family together to be patient with one another. He says, the cheerful one, let him sing praise. And then is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the part that I want to skip over. I'm, I'm one of the elders in the church and I don't even really understand how prayer and faith and oil works. And, and so when I was running on Thursday, I actually felt very clearly like God said, have some oil ready on Sunday. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And in fact, I, so when I was thinking it through clearly before I had the rehearsal and then the wedding and then the events of the weekend happened, when I was thinking it through clearly, um, I felt like I should maybe reach out to some of our other elders and just talk this through. But then the weekend got busy and I ignored it and I was like, I don't even want to do that. 
because it's uncomfortable for me and I would rather just preach the sermon that I had planned and it's a great sermon and I'm not going to get to preach it because I'm gone the next two weeks and um, I love the passage and I'm, I, I, I want to do that and I don't want to like get oil out and have those conversations and do that weird thing and, and this morning God just was like, are you going to be obedient to me or not? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what that looks like and what about this and what about that, what about this, what about that and who... Where would we even do that in our space? Like if we had a group of people with oil praying for people who are sick like, and we're doing communion, where would they even stand? And I don't have any of that figured out. But I'm wrestling with God on this one and he's saying, well, it's in my word. You're seeing in Matthew 8 and 9 and 10 this incredible healing ministry of Jesus and, and that doesn't verbatim be translated to us, okay? And, and I, there's a unique healing ministry that Jesus had where it was to prove his messianic authority, his messianic identity. There, it was prophesied in Isaiah Jesus would come healing the sick, casting out demons. And so Jesus had this ability, had this authority. He was specifically given this ability by God to cast out demons and to heal everybody whenever he wished. I don't believe that we have that ability and power here now today. We don't see that in the New Testament. But we've been given the same authority that Jesus had. We've been given the same spirit that Jesus had. We've been given an increased measure of faith as we trust him. And so I have this tension in my soul of, well, I can theologically explain why Jesus did it and why we normally don't see healing here in our context. But, but, but then look at Colossians chapter 2 with me real quick. Keep your finger in James. We're going to come back there, but look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul tells the believers. Well, let's get a little bit of context. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's all these false teachings, all this false doctrine that's leading people away from Christ. But, and then Paul says in verse 9, For in him, that's in Jesus, that's the standing of a Christian, we are in Jesus, we've been united with him. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus all of the divine attributes, all of the divine personhood and power of God dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's us. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and here this is saying that you, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Matthew chapter 28. Let's flip over there. So remember, all rule and authority. Flip back to Matthew chapter 28. Remember Matthew 8, 9, and 10 is Jesus' authoritative ministry after his authoritative teaching at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus calls the disciples to himself and he says, and Jesus has come, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. So Jesus commissions us out in his power, with his authority. Colossians 2 tells us that we are filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. James chapter 5 calls us. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I can't tell you how disobedient I want to be to that passage this morning because it's weird. And oil, I went to a Christian bookstore once to look at like anointing oil and it was like 40 bucks. I'm like, I'm not going to spend 40 bucks on a little flask of oil. Because oil is symbolic. In, throughout the scriptures, it's used, it's symbolism of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so what I did is this morning when I felt like God was smacking me upside the head to do it, I called my wife and I said, hey, could you grab some olive oil and put it in a little container for me and bring it here? Because it's symbolic. There's no healing power in the oil. It doesn't have to come from Jerusalem. It doesn't have to come from a proper kind of tree. Just like the woman didn't necessarily have to touch the garment of Jesus. There was no power in his garment. It was her faith. She was desperately crying out to her God. She was acknowledging that this man, Jesus, the Messiah, he has some authority, he has some ability, and he is my only hope. And so she threw herself before him, grabbing his garment. And because of her culture, she thought there may have been some healing power in the garment. But Jesus says, your faith has made you well. It was her desperation for God. It was her belief in Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God. And so oil, take it or leave it. A, a garment, a rag, whatever, take it or leave it. They can be symbolic. I think that's why James here says, call to the elders and they will anoint you with oil because it was symbolic for them. It only had meaning to them because it was symbolic. It reminded them of the Old Testament passages that talked about the oil and the joy of the Lord. It was symbolic. But the point here is, is that anyone who among you is suffering and weak, call to the spiritually mature in your church and have them pray over you. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. I love how he says, save the one who is sick. As we saw with some of Jesus' healings, it goes deeper, it goes to the heart. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to save our souls eternally. We may not always have healing to our cancer. We may not always have the answer that we're looking for in this life, in these circumstances, but God is always up to saving us spiritually, to cleansing us internally as we come to him in faith. He says, And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See how he's pushing it more towards the heart? He will be forgiven. He will be cleansed. He will be set free. And therefore, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God's word is calling us to pray for one another those who are suffering to, to receive prayer, those who are cheerful to, to make cheerful, joyful expressions of thanksgiving, for us to confess our sins to one another. Now, I don't necessarily think that this setting is the best for most of us. That's why we encourage you to be in smaller groups, community groups, and to have friendships of other believers who you can confess your sins to, who you can ask for prayer from, who you can do some of this in a, in a better context for it. But we can't avoid the clear reality of Scripture that Jesus wants to meet us where we're at in our suffering, in our weakness, in our despair. Regardless of how many times we pled and prayed, God, come to my rescue. Don't give up, church. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying. Don't stop pleading. James 5 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient and persistent. Continue to pursue the Lord. And regardless of the results of your prayer and the circumstances of your life, would you cling to the truth of the gospel? That even if the thorns remain, still my heart will praise you. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to sing this song again. Thanks, worship team. And I want us to sing it from the depths of our heart as the prayer of our heart, as, as the truth that we're clinging to in spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves. And then we'll move into the other songs that the worship team has planned. Went a little bit shorter, so we have time for three songs. And, uh, and we'll just let the Spirit lead the time as well. So if you need to leave, you can leave whenever you want to leave. But we're going to sing this song again, and then when that song is done, these actually at any time, the stations are open for you to come and take communion. We take communion at Park Community Church every week to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our place on our behalf, that Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect, spotless life, the life that we couldn't, the life without sin. He died in our place. He overcame sin and death in the grave. And so if you believe that, the communion stations are here for you. It's a way to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so anytime you feel led, you can visit the communion stations. And then if you're a person who's suffering and sick and you want prayer, I'm going to ask a couple of the elders and spouses and, um, yeah, I'm going to ask a couple of you to, I don't know where to do it. Hmm. This is why preaching off the cuff isn't always great. Um, maybe just right here in the front couple pews. There will be a couple of us elders there, and, and we're just going to pray for you. And we have some oil. If you want to be anointed with oil, we'll just take a little bit on our thumb and dab it on your head like they did in Scripture, and there's nothing healing in the oil. Like I told you, it's olive oil for my kitchen. But it's symbolic. 
It's symbolic. If you want that symbolism, we'll use it. If you don't, we won't, and we'll pray for you. And here's the best prayer that I came up with as I thought about healing. So I'm going to pray this for all of us, and then we're going to respond with worship and communion. And if you want prayer, come to the front couple rows. Maybe just uh, come over to this side. We'll take these two rows. I'll kick my wife back to the back pew, and we'll, we'll have this kind of an area for prayer. Well, let's pray together. Father God, in the name of Jesus, your Son, with the power of your Holy Spirit, we boldly ask you to heal whatever it is. Insert a name, insert an issue. We ask with full confidence that you have all authority to do so. And we ask that you increase our faith that we may receive your answer, whether it be yes, no, or later, as your good plan and will being worked out in this situation. See, the thing is, we, we don't need more faith in the healing. We need more faith in the God who heals. So God, I ask you to increase our faith, whether that results in healing or not is beside the point. We want more of you, Lord Jesus. We want to sing this truth from the depths of our heart with meaning to you, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who's living and active. Have your way in us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.